Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are zooming into another episode of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, and we welcome you today to the podcast. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Good to have you along today. Thanks for joining us for the podcast, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, as Dave Brooks and I team up to talk different topics in the movies, current and sometimes general. Rick and Nick Talk General, I think, today. Yes, uh, definitely more along the general side today. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Thanks to the Bemidji Theater for being a sponsor of the podcast. It is located on Highway 2 just across from the Bemidji Airport. You can stop by there for $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. They've got some great specials that they do on that particular day. It is the place to go to catch what is currently in theaters, the Bemidji Theater, Highway 2. And by the way, great place to see a movie if you've, ne- if you've seen 100 movies before, or if you're like my little kid, saw his very first movie in the theater, and they made it even more fun and special than it would have been otherwise. What did he see? He went and saw the Wonder Park movie. Okay. That was he was a good movie. He really liked it. He just was an oh jaw dropped and hand going into the bag of popcorn all movie long. He <laughs> had a really good time. Isn't it great getting to share that big screen experience a little bit and, and for him for the first time getting to go there? I won't lie. But that first scene comes up and I was like <laughs> My dad took me to something like this. The very first movie I ever saw was Star Wars. I mean, I got lucky. Most people can't say that. That was the first one I ever saw and in the theaters. Uh, probably wasn't awake for the whole thing, but I was there. Uh, my kiddo saw Wonder Park. That was a very good movie, but, you know, they can't all be Star Wars. Right. But it was really good. It's it, a good movie. It depends on the timing. Yeah. Yes. Now I can say that movie recommended by a toddler. Yeah, for me, first movie in theaters. Here's our sub unplanned topic. Yeah, first movie in theaters. I want to say that it was The Phantom Menace, but I'm I'm not sure. I think you've told me that before. Yeah, I I want to say that it was The Phantom Menace because I think I saw a couple of movies around that time in theaters. Like going going to the theater was an event when I was a kid. Like we didn't do it all that often, but. My parents, I remember, took me to, to go see that movie. I was so excited that I got up and went to the bathroom like six times. My dad and I still relive it with each other because he was the one who had to take me to the bathroom every time. And he was very frustrated that he didn't get to watch a lot of the movie because I kept going to the bathroom out of excitement. And plus, I probably shouldn't have had that soda as and, well. And now as you're pushing, you know, however old you get, you'll be 50. It won't matter. There's All right, Hove, whatever we're going to go do, why don't you go pee first? Get it over with now because I want to go 15 times. Thankfully, it doesn't happen as much anymore for my dad's sake, and plus, I can understand why he was a little a little frustrated when he looked down and was like, you have to go again. Anytime you go to the movies, and by the end, you're on a first-name basis with the washroom attendant, that is probably a sign of some kind of an issue. Or some kind of excitement, yes. Hey, speaking of uh, sw- uh, segueing into something on the current side, uh, probably the big movie news this last week was, we've talked about it before, but now it's official. 
Disney and 20th Century Fox, the merger is complete and official. Complete and official. Complete and Done official. Done and dusted. And they're already starting to make some uh, some things. And not everything that's going to happen has happened. Uh, a lot of people knew uh, layoffs were happening. A lot of executives at 20th Century Fox, they don't need those guys anymore. And a lot of other redundant positions that Disney already has. So they're talking layoffs in the thousands. So that's one thing. Uh, but everyone could see that coming. But the other one is uh, Fox Searchlight or Fox uh, 2000 Pictures. It's more of an independent uh, movie uh, theater, and the, or not theater, but uh, distributor. Uh, more of those movies that have done pretty well box office wise, maybe not so much, or uh, um, what am I trying to say? Awards wise, there we go. Maybe not so great on the box office, but like we've said before, go see movies that interest you. They're not all going to be tentpole movies, but they'll be interesting. And Fox 2000 most definitely had that. Um, they are almost immediately going to shut that down too. So, wow, yeah, that's what we feared, wasn't it? It was that there would be some originality that would get lost in all of this. That some of those individual production companies that existed within 20th Century Fox were going to be let go by the wayside, and that you'd get some create creativity that would get lost in this shuffle. What else is going to get lost in terms of? What used to exist within the 20th Century Fox umbrella, I think we're going to have to wait and see yeah, as, as we go along. But this was the fear, was that some of these things would get squashed by being a part of Disney now. Well, really, honestly, way too early to know. Um, will Dis- And there's still Fox Searchlight Pictures. That Nothing's happened to that, at least as of the time we're recording this. Um, could Disney rework that into something else? They very well could. And Disney has had something like that before, Touchstone Pictures. That's Disney. Um, there's a couple of other things. Buena Vista TV, on, uh, that's, that's Disney. They did Full House and things. So who knows what reorganization, and you know there's going to be reorganization. One of the big questions is what's going to happen to, say, franchises moving forward. And again, we've touched base on this. Yeah. I think, the la- I think what the word is right now, the new X-Men movie, Dark Phoenix, when that comes out, that will officially, if what I'm understanding, be the last official 20th Century Fox movie because the movie is essentially done. And it'll be coming out under the 20th Century Fox banner, and then everything else after that is going to be under the new Disney banner. But what's that going to mean for things like, you know, Alien and and Deadpool? They say they're going to move forward and make R-rated movies like 20th Century Fox, so maybe while you've got, say, Fox 2000 Pictures or Fox Searchlight that'll make more indie movies, maybe they'll make another division Maybe 20th Century Fox as a brand will continue, and that'll be the more adult fare. And then Disney will, you know, who knows what the ultimate the shakeout is going to reveal, but if they just sanitize everything, and you got to give them credit too, because you can't say that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been completely clean, you know? I mean, it's not it's not dirty either. It's certainly not Deadpool, but it's it's taken some jumps. It's taken some leaps, and clearly... Fan response, except for the uh, deception of uh, the last Avengers movie, and uh, others, they've done a pretty good job. For the most part, For the yeah, most part. It's been that way. Not everything. Here's some other current news. Jordan Peele is on a roll. Yeah, he is. Us had a terrific opening weekend, $70 million at the box office. This set multiple records. It is the highest opening ever for an original R-rated film that Ooh. has... No adaptation like based off of a book or is a sequel of any kind. 
It is also the largest opening ever for an original live-action film in March and the largest opening for an original horror film in any month ever. Like, that's how good it was in terms of drawing people in interest-wise. This, of course, is Jordan Peele's follow-up. It's it's not a sequel. It's his follow-up to Get Out and all the success that he had making that movie. Us has had a tremendous, tremendous open, and the reviews are terrific. There, I, I talked to one of the guys I live with, and he said it's better than Get Out, in, I've heard that. in his opinion, like that, that it's that good. That's got me really intrigued about going to check this out. But Jordan Peele is really starting to make a name for himself as an auteur and in terms of doing doing things from a directorial side with his own particular style and having his own particular twists and just these these deeper meanings that come with it all. And it's got me thinking, should I get myself a CBS All Access subscription just so I can watch what he does with the Twilight Zone here in a couple of months' time? But Us is off to a tremendous start in multiple respects. Yeah, it's there's a lot of comparison to him and M. Night Shyamalan. They both kind of had a darker thriller movie with a twist. Um, so Jordan Peele continues with the twists, uh, of which we were not going to be talking about in this podcast because we want you to go see the new movie, but that was M. Night Shyamalan's gimmick, you know, oh, Bruce Willis is dead. Oh, that the village is actually modern day and it's in the middle of a park. Oh, you know, there was always something, you know, but they kind of became a little more hingy and people were looking for the twist and this is more straight up, just very well done. And so the comparisons for him and M. Night Shyamalan, they might be parting at this point. Because M. Night Shyamalan almost was sort of a one-trick pony. He had a long time before he could really duplicate that success and never really fully did. He's got a little bit more of a comeback here, but you know he never really duplicated the sixth sense. While M. Night, or, uh, Jordan Peele has seemingly already upped Get Out with us. And who knows, beyond the Twilight Zone, what's yet to come. Right. What else can he come up with on a fairly consistent basis in terms of storytelling and in terms of thematic storytelling as well? Because I think that's the the main thing that he has really proven that he's got a skill in is telling a story, but doing so with, with themes that are interlaced within it. And especially within the horror genre that makes you think while at the same time frightening you all the same yeah and don't make any mistake this is straight up horror movie this is not oh that's creepy like it was with get out this one it's a horror movie there you go don't bring the kids kids let's go see a really no don't right not till they're you know at least 15 and then you got to make a parental decision 70 million for the opening weekend for us captain marvel has done very well as we talked about in our our previous episode it's had their own it's had a very very good open um in in the near future, I can tell you that the reviews on another superhero movie that's coming up, Shazam, are excellent. Yeah. Really, really good reviews that are coming up, which, which is great for DC, and apparently it's lighthearted and, and fun, and it's got some, some great you know, moments that make you feel good as well, too. But it's but it's all really well done, apparently. You know, I've asked this question a couple of times. How much longer will this superhero bubble last? They keep making good movies. It's going to it'll last longer than it would have otherwise. At some point, the flavor will run stale. Maybe they're waiting for the end of the Avengers, this current phase. Who knows? Um, but they keep making good movies. So 
I think if you, if you build it, they will come. I do believe in that very much, um, and so far, so good. So keep going, Shazam. Yeah, with some heart. And too. I hope good things for the you know, upcoming Spider-Man movie, too. That I'd like to see that one keep going, but... Uh, you know, I certainly don't want to see them go away. When I grew up and I was a little kid, superhero movies, they just, they weren't really making them. You know, they had the Superman movies, and after the second one, those kind of, eh. And then you had to wait almost the entire 1980s before a good Batman came out. And that, you know, so I like the fact that kids get a good superhero and girls get a good superhero, too. And heck, even the guys are liking the girls' superhero movies, and that's good, too. So, happy. So wanna... we chase down our topic? Yeah, let's do it. I was like, I wonder if any of these upcoming superhero movies are going to involve a chase in some way. But I guess Avengers Endgame, they're trying to chase down wherever in the world Thanos is enjoying his retirement. That would be an interesting concept. Could you imagine a Superman movie where Superman, let's say it's another bad guy that can fly. Let's say it's General Zod, just for argument's sake. And they have a chase scene, flying, running, underwater, all the stuff that they could do. You know, wouldn't that be an amazing chase scene? That's never been done before. And now maybe you have an idea of what our topic is for today, boys and girls. Yeah, we're talking chases today. Chases on the screen. And when I gave you, and of course the music that accompanies them is probably going to be a part of it. But when I was thinking of this topic, Dave, and I told you we could look at this in in terms of automobile chases. We could also look at it outside of automobiles as well because the chase the the chase topic just in general when it comes to movies it's it's got a lot of history to it obviously chases have been a part of movies since there were movies um but filming chases has gotten to be more and more of an undertaking over time because now you can get creative with the camera work to be able to make such a chase happen it's it's not just the three stooges running away from somebody anymore you can now do a lot with the camera work to be able to make a chase come to life on the screen and not just be a flat watching people run away from something yeah and you know there's a couple of different theories with a chase scene whether it's trying to really pull the audience in with a lot of motion and quick cuts or whether it's just sit there and watch for example, these vehicles or these people and watch what they can do. I brought up before, even though it's not a movie, but it still was a pretty good example of how a chase scene is done, was the Dukes of Hazard. My little kiddo is getting into playing with toy cars now. And one of the best things I liked when I was playing with cars when I was a kid, yes, when I was a kid, not anytime recently, <laughs> was kind of following what the Dukes of Hazard would do. You know, I'd be on the floor and the car would zoom, go by that chair leg. And then here comes the other guy's car, zoom, past the same car leg. And that's kind of the way they did it with Dukes of Hazard. It kind of taught you some of the basics, but you also had some motion. You had amazing things with those cars that pretty much wrecked numerous cars per episode. You know, so it was doing amazing things, but they made it look like, you know, wow, everyone could do that. Um, to the point I try to get my dad to jump our car. He said, you're crazy? So that was a good introduction, but, you know, you'll watch those today compared to watching the other things they're making today, and it doesn't necessarily hold up, but I would say it holds up better than some others where it's so motion-oriented, so jumpy, so cutty that you have no idea what's going on. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about, the good and the bad of a chase scene, what works, what doesn't, and why. Yeah, when it comes to chases, the, the way, especially when it comes to automobile chases, the way that they would film it back in the 40s and 50s if they had such a thing was obviously they had the they had the screen that they would have behind the characters and then they would have a rolling 
uh, a rolling image that would be going on behind them as they are quote unquote driving the car and and sending it along or they would speed it up like in the movie to catch a thief that comes to mind of an example of that where you can tell that the cars as they are racing along in the countryside of France are being sped up you know you've got those images and they are sped up while they are t- they would typically be driving at an at an okay speed as they are shooting it then they just speed the film up and then they show the characters as they're driving and you've got the screen behind them and and it shows the cars kind of zooming along they did that in the early James Bond movies as well that's how they kind of had to shoot it in that time because camera techniques were not as such or, or they hadn't really invented movies a way were yet new, yeah. yeah they hadn't really invented a way yet of being able to capture a chase like that using camera work in real time yeah. dynamically yeah i'll get to the to where that changed in a moment but even you see another move you see other movies like that are chase oriented and it was less about the automobile and more about the chase in that time for example north by northwest is a chase movie oh yeah like all throughout you've got roger thornhill played by Cary grant who's being chased pretty much through the entirety of the movie what makes the chase really really draw you in is what alfred hitchcock was so known for and that was the suspense of it all the music and and just that that elusiveness trying to to get away from the police trying to get away from his captors um the from that terrorist organization all of that trying to or the criminal organization trying all of that suspense that got created from all of that was where the the draw was when it came to that chase or Here's another example. It came in the early 70s, but Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, yeah. Chase, within that movie, it's it's on horseback, which was where a lot of chases were filmed back in the 40s, 50s, and so forth, was those those kinds of chases with horseback, and you can kind of pan with the horse as, it, as it's flying along, and, and then you've got who's chasing behind them. Horses allowed for especially when you would get into westerns they allowed for a little bit more of a chase element although you couldn't quite do the pan with them in real time flying along on the camera uh quite as much as you could maybe in the modern day but um but i I like that movie as a chase movie as well because that chase is kind of drawn out you think that they're going to get away and they think they're going to get away like they always do and oh no they've they've got this super posse that's on their trail pretty much the entirety of the movie um, even when they think that they are fully away down in Bolivia. Um, but you've got a chase that plays out in slow time during the course of that movie, and that's what adds to the suspense there. We, we did mention there are spoilers in this episode, I believe. We generally do mention that there are spoilers, yes. <laughs> so Butch and Cassidy, they didn't get away. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I agree. I think one of the secrets to a good chase is, as they'll tell you in basic uh, filmmaking or journalism, if you're doing camera work, is a sequence. So I've, I've seen movies where whoever is in charge of making them, whether it's a cinematographer, the director, whoever, is this will look great, and this will look great, and they're just going to stitch them together, and there's no sequencing, and then you start to lose tags on who's where, who's what, what's moving. You just know something's moving. You do, it kind of pulls you out of the movie. Now, as a goal, you want to get pulled into this, but you don't want to get pulled in so close that it's like trying to read a book with your eye one inch off the page. Right. You kind of lose track of what's going on. It's just a whole bunch of jumble. And that's the catch. And I've seen some cardinal offenders. So let's talk about 
when it's done right and when it's done poorly. And I'll start off with what I think is the best chase scene I think I maybe have ever seen, and it's an on-foot chase. And it's the not the opening scene, but the second scene, I guess you could say, after the credits of Casino Royale. That parkour oh, chase. Man. That and I, you got to be you got to talk about all of it. Just the motion oh, that man. this the guy that Bond is chasing, the what he was able to do as a man is spectacular. Then you get Daniel Craig going after him. Then you get these dynamic camera shots that were just gorgeous and opened this thing up. But they kept it moving. They kept it thrilling. It was one of the best openings to a Bond movie. Oh, I can remember sitting there in the theater thinking, this is going to be the best Bond movie I've seen in a long, long time. And we didn't even know what the plot was yet. So that was an exceptional example of how to really introduce what at the time was the brand new James Bond. And my God, was that done so well. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was just watching that movie with some friends the other day. They were all saying, too, this is awesome. Oh, my gosh. That that whole open. Like, first they start out, the pre-credits, they start out with the black and white of how Bond became a double O and earned his double O status. So you've got that established. And now they get into this. And, and you're kind of getting thrust right into the action in terms of him being an agent now and it's a clear indication that first of all that Daniel Craig was going to be a different bond oh yeah than what than what they had had previously and secondly it was it, it was just a grab you by by the scruff of the neck and say this is a different bond movie than what's come before we are going to completely open things up now starting with all the free running and that even, happened there. The free running was just off the charts, blow your mind, oh, amazing. Yeah. The, the the actor who they had doing the free running there, uh, who Bond was chasing, he was absolutely spectacular. Well, even, you know, rather than even getting pulled into the details and how it sets up the story and the new character and all of that, look at it just skin deep. Look at it as just the chase. I remember seeing that opening weekend in the theater, and I can remember people all around me in the theater, including myself, oh, Wow. And yep. I brought my girlfriend at the time who'd never seen a Bond movie ever. And she was kind of, I don't know, brought her to see it. And she was in on it. And she was in right there. I mean, it brought everybody in and willingly. And to do something like that and to do it as well as they did, if you could put in, say, another car chase, there's a couple from The Fast and the Furious that got a little too cluttered from what I'm talking about. I don't think it would work. Uh, there's another really good one that we'll bring up here in a little while that I think was a good example of kind of the best of both and the worst of both. Um, where well, we'll talk about that later. But Sebastian Focon was the name of of the free runner. The other guy, the free runner. Yeah, he yeah. was he was exceptionally good, incredible. Oh, it was spectacular. If you've not seen Casino Royale, go just that first scene after the credits. Anyway, not the opening, but the next one. Um, just watch that. Turn it off. You've seen a really good part, and it's a perfect example. Whether it's by car, whether it's by airplane, whether it's running through a construction site, it was sequenced. It was beautifully shot. At no point did you lose what was going on, and they had so much motion, camera, people, everything. It pulls you in without losing you in the in the in the noise. I'll give credit too to Skyfall because it's it's a different kind of chase that they have yeah. at the beginning of that movie, and it's it's not quite as spectacular because. You can't quite match the free-running ability of the Casino Royale Open, but the one that they did to open Skyfall was was pretty exceptional, too, because if it, you go, how do you follow oh, yeah. up something like that? Well, you come up with something different. You come up with something new, and they did that pretty well there. Do you have a personal favorite, Chasing? 
A personal favorite. Um, I, I think the one that I have enjoyed the most in terms of watching, there's there's one I think where all chase scenes, at least automobile-wise, stem from, which I referenced earlier, and I'll get to it here in a bit. But the one that I really enjoy the most, I think, um, apart from in Casino Royale and Skyfall, the one that I that I liked the most is probably the Born Identity. The car chase scene there in, that in was Paris. A good one. Really, really good chase scene that they have there. That's a you know why I, I think that stands out is because when I was younger and when I first saw the Bourne movies, I would go replay that scene over and over again. Like that was that was kind of my indication of this is an exceptional scene in so many ways. The way that they filmed it, where they would get in tight inside the the car as as you've got Jason and Marie and, and getting their expressions as they're going through the entire, the course of this chase. And then you've got bringing it back outside of the car and just taking stock of where they are and how Bourne is maneuvering around as skillfully as he, as he is. You, you get to see more of Bourne's skills on display as you are learning just how skilled this guy is in terms of who he's trying to figure himself as, which is as an agent. Um, and now you are learning these things um, about his assassin skill that he has as he is trying to get away from from the police and doing so in very tight spaces with just a little mini that he is ripping around the streets of Paris and finding ways to to maneuver through. And then the music that goes with it as well from Oakenfold, um, oh, yeah. which is a song that I had known even before that. Um, but then it's it, it goes along so great with with all that's taking place there on the screen. Yeah, the, you know, and the, what a great chase sequence that was. And then you go to the sequel, The Bourne Supremacy, and there's a chase sequence at the end that is kind of the finale of the of that particular movie. It's the highlight. And it is a great chase scene, but at the same time, it commits some of the biggest sins where you just get completely lost. And I remember uh, I, was, I wasn't able to go see it opening weekend for whatever reason, and so I was going to go see it later the week or the next weekend, and somebody had seen it said, do yourself a favor, sit in the back row of the theater. Said, okay, why? It is so shaky, Cam. And I mean everything. doesn't matter if you're in the car chase or if you're watching a guy eat a taco. The camera just won't stop moving. To the point where it's annoying and it kind of pulls you out of things. And so when you get to the car chase scene, there are some brilliant moments. And to compare the Bourne Supremacy car chase at the end to the one early middle of the Bourne Identity, the first one, it's I'm sure it was pretty much the same crew. I mean, it was Paul Greengrass all the way through, but it was... The second one was so much more confusing, but at the same time was a lot more intense in some ways. By the time that chase was over, you could smell the burning rubber in the theater. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what they were going for was that raw feeling that came with that chase because there was a rawness about that movie. I mean, Bourne is not as invincible as in the first movie, although, I mean, it wasn't like he was indestructible in the first movie, but the second one, you get a lot more of a a raw and might lose this challenged one. edge that comes with that one. I think the filming tried to reflect that, and it worked in some ways, and yet in other ways it was yeah. jarring. I, I wouldn't say it's a bad example. I wouldn't say... I'd say it's a very good example of a car chase, and it's definitely one of the better ones, but there are those moments where, oh, oh no, that's... And maybe there was an artistic... Well, if we can show it a little more disjointed, then maybe we can get into the psyche of the... Okay, there's something to be said about that. There's an uh, interpretation like license there but at some points you do lose what's going on and if you're sitting way too close to the tv or the theater screen 
you don't know what's going on. You just know something's moving, and you're not even really sure it's a car. It might be a water buffalo at some point. You're not really sure. That's the problem. And I did notice that even during that movie that I did get pulled out a few times where I was just like, my eyes hurt, and I don't know what I'm watching. You know, And I wasn't even old then, so I know it wasn't that. Yeah. So it was an example of both, and that was what I was alluding to earlier. It's got some of the best examples of a car chase and some major whoopses. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. It's great to have you along for the podcast today as we are talking about chases in the movies. Car chases in particular, Dave, all stem in one way or another from one car chase. Are we going Steve McQueen? Yes. Bullet. It's where it all stems from, right? I mean, that's what I've kind of alluded to here a couple of times. I'm trying to remember chronologically released. Was it Bullet or was it uh, the French Connection that was first? Bullet was before the French Connection. That's right. That was was 60s? Late 60s? 1970? What movie? What year was that? Late 60s, I believe, was when it came out. I'm checking on that. 1968. Yeah, 68. French Connection followed then in the early 70s. 71 or 72, yeah. Yeah, those, those both together. Let's stick with Bullet, though. That was... That really was a good one. That was the one that started it all when it came to how, how they can to be do, done. Yeah, how it can be done in terms of at that time, that camera work was innovative. That, oh, yeah. that camera work was incredibly innovative to film that chase through the streets of San Francisco. And it is still credited as one of, if not the greatest car chase ever on the screen because it was the one that started it all in terms of this can be done on screen and how fitting that Steve McQueen was part of it. And did a lot of the, not all, but a lot of the stunt driving himself. Um, There's some things they wouldn't let him do, but he did. And here's another one for you younger kids that weren't around when Bullet came came out. I wasn't around when Bullet came out. Um, To watch it now, it does still, it was pretty good, you know, but I'd say better. Yeah, that's true, but it was a game changer. Go look at any car chase you want. Pick one. They took out place before Bullet came out, and then watch him after Bullet came out. Bullet is what changed that. That's what brought it up. And then you'd get another one that would bring in some other innovation. But Bullet, like Star Wars, it changed the game. It Everything was different after that. So you almost have to appreciate that and still appreciate how well it holds up today to our scrutiny and CGI when CGI did not exist. Everything you see was done for real in the camera and that's amazing when you watch, I mean, those, you see the car chase through San Francisco, half of it is an aerial battle because you go <laughs> and you hit those you hit those jumps and you're in the air for half of it. Yeah. That was amazing. And that's part of what made it really entertaining. Not, it wasn't just a car chase. It was a really entertaining car chase, especially because of the setting being what it was. If you're going to go through the hills of San Francisco like that, ripping a car around in there, yeah, that's going to be something that's going to stick and where all others are going to stem from. Like you talked about the French connection with the car chase that they have in there. Another one that stemmed from there. Here's one that came in the that later in the 70s, which you mentioned earlier how you would watch Dukes of Hazard and how you, you took away a lot from there in terms of car chases as well. Well, how about later in the 70s on, on a comparable level to that, Smokey and the Bandit oh, yeah. and how that also featured car chases along those lines too, those those backwoods kind of car chases in particular. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those were always kind of fun, and that was, in a lot of ways, uh, harken back to the Dukes of Hazzard. They filmed that show 
like they filmed the movie. I mean, they weren't, they were moving the camera, but it wasn't so much that you lost it. You always knew where, if it wasn't, uh, where, where the bandit was and where Smokey was on his tail or whether it was the, uh, the General Lee and the Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane on his tail. It, they were very much similar in the way they were done. Uh, and they were very, very dynamic, and it was fun, and it was entertaining. It wasn't so thrilling in a nervous kind of a way. It was just like, wow, look at this. This is cool. You knew the good guys were going to get away, and even if they didn't, it was only temporary. It wasn't, we're hanging on a nail here, like, say, the born Identity or born Supremacy. I don't know what's going to happen. Those were examples of just thrilling and fun, whether they're jumping over the bridge um, that it was out. There was no bridge, so you had to yeah. jump that. I mean, it was it was amazing to watch it happen. Speaking of jumping over the bridge when it was out, how about a Bond no. car chase and a Bond chase? Oh, you're I not a, you're not a fan you're of it. I know where you're, you're going. You're not a fan of it. No. A Bond chase before its time that featured an incredible stunt. True. A pretty incredible stunt. The chase itself, you can be opposed to, and I, I am perfectly okay with that. But the corkscrew jump in The Man with the Golden Gun, that's an incredible stunt. It's a stunt, but it it is an incredible stunt. I'll give you that. But as far as a car chase goes, eh. It was... It was like sitting, yeah. it was like sitting through a movie with your eyes closed and then opening it for one brief moment, closing your eyes for the rest of the movie. That's really the only good part of that movie. I didn't like the movie. I didn't like the car chase. And even what an amazing stunt! So what did they do to accentuate it? Oh, that was unnecessary. Please. Yeah, I, it took away from it. So I mean, on a it technic, did. Mute, it did. mute your TV for the whole movie, pretty much, including that, and maybe. But I mean, yeah. Great stunt, not a great chase. The stunt itself, though, is really cool. No, it, no, you are you are absolutely you're spot on. Like the whistle that they include with yeah. it is silly. It it really is, and that that shows how campy those movies were for a little bit there during the seventies and eighties. But that that stunt in particular was incredible. I knew. I mean, I know we've talked about stunts here on this on this show before, but in terms of a chase stunt. That one ranks right up there. I'll tell you, some of the chases that I really do like that you don't see too much are first-person perspective. Now, oftentimes, you'll get a moment where you'll get a shot through the windshield or the cockpit window or whatever the case, but it's a flash here and there. I would like to see more of a first-person perspective where that's mainly the focus and not an occasional flash, almost kind of reverse it. Usually you're looking from a third person as things are weaving, and you'll get a quick cut shot from inside the car, the guy's reaction. I'd like to see it be primarily first person with an occasional third person just to give you a better perspective as who's going where. Because we can all relate to that. Now, maybe we can't relate to weaving in and out of trap. Well, maybe sometimes some of us can, darn you. But, you know, you can get a better reaction than, oh, I've been in that car. I've been in that situation. Ooh, that's a really, ooh, that makes me tense. If that, that would be cool. And especially if you got Banks and Weaves and Ariel in particular, those are fun because you can almost imagine that and you can almost daydream about that. The other thing, too, that comes with you can imagine it, Dave, is, and this is something that I think a lot of chases these days could stand to use more of is the realism that comes with them too why do you like casino royale's chase so much absolutely realistic it's realistic it's gripping and when you watch them and in particular when they're up on that crane fighting each other up there you are just holding your breath going 
oh man, hang on. Don't you know, don't put a foot wrong. It's believable when you're up there. Yeah. and it's not CGI. And it's even not. if even if it was, which it isn't, it didn't look like it was CGI. So you're believing Holy moly! You're pretty sure the the close cut of Daniel Craig on the crane is probably three feet off the ground with a lot of big pads. Yeah, on it. but not that long wide shot. That oh my gosh! They're what fifteen stories above. Especially when you can see the ocean. Oh yeah, out there too. You just start to get a sense of just how gripping this is. Bullet. It it, it was gripping because you see these cars ripping around the streets of San Francisco. And it really draws you in. You know, the Born Identity, it grips you because you're in there and you're seeing them trying. You're in the car and then you're out of the car seeing all this play out as they're trying to get away there in the streets of Paris. Here's another good modern day example. This is part of why people really appreciated this movie. I still need to see this movie, but Mad Max Fury Road was roundly praised for its cinematography and rightfully so because it was shot incredibly well. And it's a chase movie. Oh, yeah. And pretty much the entirety of the movie is a chase. And if you know the Mad Max movies a bit, you know that they're essentially these road warriors. And they've got all these incredible things going on as they are going through the the badlands and the driftlands of of dystopian Australia. And and they, they appreciated the chases of Mad Max Fury Road so much because... Cinem- cinematically they did such an incredible job filming it and they they said listen we're going to limit the cgi use as much as possible and you get a realism that pops out at you from off the screen oh yeah and and when you get all of that together i think that's what has changed about a lot of chases today especially when when you get some of those flight chases that happen now or some of the um or even some of the ground chases that you have in movies these days. You get you get the CGI that comes with it and yet it takes away this layer of realism that comes with it too. Like here's another example, Dunkirk. They they filmed everything with the planes. You know, you're you're not seeing a whole lot of CGI going on there. You're seeing these planes in a dogfight with each other. And they're it just it makes you grip your seat a little bit tighter as you see them in this dogfight in the middle of the air rather than a CGI type of fight would where it just doesn't feel like it's very real when it's real it pops out at you and that's where the suspense of a chase makes you grip your seat because you feel like you are in the chase then yeah i you know going back to mad max um it's funny with with uh, fury road it's there's a lot that was shot in camera but if you watch the behind the scenes you'll see that a lot of what you see on the final product on screen was not there. There's a lot of CGI, but there's also a lot of realism. It was more of an enhancement CGI, not just for colors, but a lot of other vehicles that weren't there. And But the main, the meat and potatoes of the chase scene most definitely was there. But uh, you can go watch that on YouTube and go see the, what was actually there on set and what came out at the end, and you'll see a vast difference. But not to take away from what was honestly there, and if you follow the Mad Max movies, go back to the second one, The Road Warrior. You know, the, the the best part of that movie is the end. It's a giant sequence. It almost takes up the whole last act where it's the big convoy and everyone's chasing everybody. And, yep. And all the Mad Max movies had a moment where it was that. But The Road Warrior did it, well, I don't know if I can say the best now because Fury Road may have beaten it. Yeah. But it really was something spectacular and a lot of it was 
for real. And a lot of those stunts were for real. And Mad Max um, 2, The Road Warrior, has a stunt in it from that chase scene that was an accident, but it's still in the final scene where the stuntman broke both his legs. Where there's a scene where, I forget exactly how he gets to it, but he's in his car and he hits something, and you see a shot of him catapulting head over heels over and over, slow motion right at the camera. That was an accident for one. Both his legs were broken in that shot. But I mean, even he was like, yeah, put that in. If, it, if you got a good shot, put it in. And it looks glorious. And you don't even know how this poor guy landed. But I mean, that was shot for real. That was not, you know, that was amazing. And he yeah. hit something wrong, which is what made him go head over heels like that. But wow. And that's just in the middle of all this chasing. To get things like that, unfortunately, the legs, he did walk again, so that's good. He continued his stunt career, so that's good. Um, but it really was something, you know, and to get things like that really pull you in. Um, yeah, go watch Mad Max. Any of them really have got at least, even beyond Thunderdome, the end has finally got the classic Mad Max chase. A good chase also has to have an emotional appeal to it, too, don't you think? Like, Absolutely. Here, one of my favorite movies just in general is Catch Me If You Can, um, and it, and that's a big chase. That goes on within that movie. It's not. It's not a car chase of any sort. It's a. It's a detective trying to catch a boy who's who's basically on the run, just kind of going through these different personas that he that he takes on. It's the the story of Frank Abagnale, which is pretty amazing. His his entire story, just in general, of how he he made his way through as and largely true yeah and and largely true yeah and made his way through imitating many different things a pilot a doctor a lawyer all these different things that he that he impersonated all while while he was forging checks and and such what's great about that movie too is not just not just the chase the chases and the the easy breezy nature of that movie that you kind of feel but at the same time it's the emotional appeal of it too that he's on the run from the law, but at the same time, he's kind of on the run from, you know, not feeling like he has a place in any way, too. And if you get an emotional pull that comes with a chase as well, like in the Bourne movies, it's a it's a chase to get away from a life that Bourne never knew he had, um, and and trying to get away from all of that because he recognizes I don't want to do this anymore. If you get that that comes with it too, it just adds to bringing you into the chase in a way that the visuals aren't quite able to do the visuals have their part but if you're emotionally drawn into a chase it just adds on one of the, a good one that i can think of was we'll go back to christopher nolan and the dark knight trilogy specifically now we can talk about the dark knight but i'm doing more batman begins batman doesn't show up till halfway through the movie and finally he really makes his appearance and he's saving rachel dawes from the from the museum and uh, the big chase scene that's going through, and he's in the Batmobile, largely was filmed in camera. A couple of CGI shots, but largely not. And the way that was done was done exceptionally well. I don't know how well that vehicle maneuvers in real life. It looks very large and cumbersome, but the way they made it look on screen is amazing. When he's getting back to the cave? When he's getting back to the cave yeah. and you're chasing through the streets and you got these really quick jump shots, and some of those shots last... I don't know, quarter of a second, just enough to get your, you know, your heart going. And then all of a sudden it just, it really stretches together, but at no point do you lose what's happening, who's where, what's what, you don't lose that. And if you do have a really quick jump, it's almost a real quick staccato, and then you're right back into something to get you right back and, okay, oriented. 
It takes your breath away and then gives it back to you and then takes it away and gives it back to you alternate, alternatively. And it really, really makes it work. All while put to the pounding theme that Hans Zimmer puts to it as well, musically. Yeah. Because I think that music really helps add on to that particular chase as well. I agree. The, the music is that... And that's what became the staple of the series in terms of music was that pounding theme that they started out there in Batman Begins. And it it really does add to and heighten the urgency that comes with that chase and with trying to get back. A couple more that I can think of. Um, I will give a lot. We've, we've had our issues with George Lucas, but I will give him amazing credit with the pod racing scene from The Phantom Menace. That technically is a chase scene, too. And at no point there did you really lose track on what was what and they the way they had subtle clues as to what exactly you're looking at from the sounds of the engine i mean you had sabalba who was in the lead that's i mean what an unusual sound for an engine but when you see him whether you recognize it or not you know the sound and you know that's not anakin it just the way that everything was sequenced on that that is a perfect example of how to keep people in it while having a heck of a lot of motion made nascar look like little kids on tricycles yeah Here's another chase that I'm sure you'll you'll appreciate in particular, Dave. Getting away from automobiles or from pod racing. How about the open to the Raiders of the Lost Ark and running from a boulder? Technically, I suppose, but I don't know if I call it a chase scene. Great, you, would, you wouldn't call that a chase? I wouldn't call it a chase. It's a great sequence. It's a great scene. I love the scene, but I don't know if there's so much of a chase. The running lasts for, how long is that, 15 seconds? So no. Well... If the running, if you're going to just count the running from the boulder, it's more so the trying to get out sense of that entire chase that that I guess is what's really appealing because you get this open to Indiana Jones and you start to get an understanding of okay this this guy this guy gets into some pretty sticky situations that he has to get to get out of. But um, it's not just running from the boulder there. I guess it's also the, the avoidance and jumping the the avoidance and... of all of the, the the various booby traps there, and then trying to get away from those who were, who were trying to kill him there as he's trying to escape with his life. But that that whole open it, it gets the ball rolling. Yeah, I'd, pun intended. I'd say the wood boat chase in uh, Last Crusade is more of a chase, and that was that was pretty impressive too. Um, yeah, that's true. I'll tell you one that we've missed that was one of our favorites that we really talked about when it came out was Baby Driver. Yes, I mean what an amazing opening for that. And we were going to get around to it. We're getting around to it, but here's <laughs> here's an idea that if you don't have an emotional connection yet, because that opening chase, there's a couple of them through the movie, but the opening one is the is, would be my personal favorite. It's essentially the opening credits is you don't know what's going on yet. You don't know who's who. You don't know what's what. You don't know if they're good guys, bad guys, what. You're just along for the ride, but it pulls you in. And so whatever's coming next, you're like, I'm in. I'm ready. Let's find out who's what. But the way that it was shot, the way it was synchronized, the way the music came into play. Synchronizing ev- all of that oh, with yeah. the tune to Bell Bottoms. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything about that, even the way the actors in the car were going, was I mean, it was one of the best examples of if not it was if not edge of your seat, you were definitely you were definitely there. And you were really pulled in and enjoying it. It was it was uh, sensual porn. It was for every sense. It I mean, you could feel it. 
you could see it, you could hear it, you could. Ju- it was just, it was spectacular. And it gave you a sense of what was to come later with the oh, movie, yeah. with the way that they were going to match music and action oh, together, yeah. and and put those two into synchronization. Yeah, Baby Driver found a way to do it, to to take the chase the chase idea and and put it to another level in terms of artistic impression on the screen of yeah we know we know that this movie is 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 kind of you know it's like a ballet in some sense and we know that it's going to be that way but it's going to be really entertaining for you even though you know hey this this almost seems like it's a little too perfect the way that this is all matching to the music yes it's intended to be that way yeah absolutely so let's talk about a couple of examples where things don't go so well. Maybe not necessarily calling them out, but th- and maybe not even necessarily calling about a particular movie that was bad at this, but things in a chase scene that don't serve the purpose. One thing we've talked about was the CGI. Can you believe it? You know, you certainly believe that there's people on the crane in Casino Royale because there were people on the crane. But how many times do you see a camera move in a way that there's no way a camera can move like that or a person move or jump and their arc, you know, there's no way that there's the physics doesn't work like that. Even if I'm not a physicist, I've seen enough things move and jump and fall and run that I know that nobody else has ever looked like that before ever. And not in a, you know, Usain Bolt way where he's just that ungodly of a, of an athlete, but physics doesn't work like that. So when Dwayne Johnson jumps off that scaffolding in uh, the, not the Towering Inferno, what was that movie he just did? Inferno, I think it was. Was it Skyscraper? Skyscraper, there we go. He's jumping off the thing. You know that he's not going to make that jump. You know, you've seen people jump and do things just like that, and you know he's going to be plummeting into the fire below. That's it. So when you see something that is obviously fake, it pulls you right, I don't believe that. And then anything else that comes before, it's not a money shot anymore. It's just, eh pulls you out it has to be based in physics and reality has to be the sixth fast and furious movie comes to mind where letty and dom uh, like where where there's the whole jumping across the freeway moment that they have in that movie i i think i audibly said out loud during that that's ridiculous or something like that because it was or i kind of groaned when it happened too it was just like you got to be kidding me. That that's ah, oh, that's too much. I mean, Fast 5, the chase through the the streets of Rio de Janeiro, pretty cool. That was pretty With cool. The safe attached onto the back. That was that was kind of cool. That was cool, but when they're yeah. they're jumping into skyscrapers, no. Yeah, no. you're jumping across the freeway. It's like, no, no, no. 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 This is too much. We talked about this a long time ago when it came to camera work. And this is a general commentary thing. I like when the camera is very natural. Yeah. When it's just natural. When it is when it is there and it's following along with the chase. And and yet at the same time it's not it's not taking you in it's not taking you into very unnatural positions or unnatural kinds of movements that are that are like spinning you around or something like that the camera is staying static or if it's moving with the action it's moving with the action the camera is not super dynamic or over the top but it's it's along for the ride 
more or less. I just saw. I wish I could say where I saw this. I couldn't tell you. Maybe it was just you know, Reddit or something. But there was a scene shot from behind the scenes of a car chase movie. I don't even know what movie it was. Could have been for a commercial, for all I know. So you got the car that's doing the chase, and he's weaving in and out of traffic. And then behind this car is a truck with a big boom camera on it. And the camera boom is moving from side to side and getting these dynamic things. And I'm sure from the lens of that camera, and you're not watching this through the boom camera. You're watching it from a very static camera that's behind the boom truck camera. So it's just shooting stead ahead, and that's it. You got this camera moving side to side on the crane, and then you got this car weaving in and out. Nothing all that dynamic. Quite honestly, I've seen things just like it at rush hour in the Twin Cities with some idiot driver. So it wasn't that dynamic to look through. But if you put it through that lens and you kind of stick with it, I'm sure it looked pretty dynamic. You're weaving from side to side and the car is weaving and you're, you got this car that the car weaved around. Now the camera goes right over the car. For one, if it's a static shot, you're not going to cut it up too much and it's got a good steady cam on it. You're not so shook up. You're just along for the ride and you're weaving and missing cars by mere paint chips just like the other car is. And you're along for the ride when you get shaken out of the car or you lose track of, is this a car chase? What, what's going on? When you lose it, you're out of it and you can't follow it, you're out of it. When you lose them in a chase, you lose them for the movie or at least a good part of it. Yeah, I... I, don't, I wish I could find where that scene was. Go look it up online. It's car chase behind the scenes or something. Maybe it'll come up. But I think that's the the simplest complaint that you could have, David, with a car chase or just with chases in general. Is that when it takes you out of the dynamic that 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 chase provides in terms of a realism and in terms of being realistically embedded within the chase, then it starts to get into the realm of of the oh, this is this is kind of ridiculous. Plus, uh, there's another thing too. I think there is such a thing as as accelerating too much within a chase, and what I mean by that is not allowing a chase to breathe or have moments to breathe. Yeah. Like if you are constantly pedal to the metal, I think that can get a little bit tiresome after a while. Like if a chase has an ebb and flow to it, where maybe it it starts out really good, then maybe has a little bit of a lull moment. Like you think you a shook wide, them. right? A, a wider screen shot. Of it all, I think a wider screen shot could could be pretty useful there. Of just taking stock of where this all is, or where are they going? I agree or, completely. Like you said, thinking that you've you've shook them off during the course of the chase, but then it accelerates back up we again. To, we have to change cars. They know we're in this one. We got to change cars. Gives you just enough of a of a wider angle to watch them all get out of one car. A Chinese fire drill, if you want to call it, get into the next car. Here they come. Off you go again. Or. You started out really suspenseful, really tense. Maybe it's a little cat and mouse, and then, boom, off you go. And it, it takes up and it, it revs up to its its climax. You want to have a good climax, and you want to have a fast climax to it all. But allowing a little bit of room to breathe rather than just constantly it's all high speed all the time. Yeah, I, I would agree. There's, And this is no different than, say, watching good acting, watching good cinematography, Watch the way it is done well. Watch good examples and try to, if you're a filmmaker, emulate that. And rather than focusing on the bad things, look, this could have been great. You had some great elements, but I didn't know what I was watching. You know, pulling it back 10 feet would have perhaps made a difference. Add another half a second into those jump cuts would have made a big difference, would have given me a chance to know what I'm watching. Um, being able to sit back and watch it from a distance and know what's happening makes all the difference. Um, so watch those good examples. 
and see what works and maybe even see some examples of what doesn't work. And better yet than that, why does it work? Why does it not work? Well, I didn't know what was going on. Well, how come? Well, because there you go. Then you start to learn what works, what doesn't, and you start to, you know, focus more on what works and maybe we make more of what works. Makes me want to watch Fury Road. Makes me want to watch Baby one. Driver, actually. Yeah, makes I've got Fury Road. Does. I'll loan it to you. Sweet. I've got Baby Driver, although I think I've you do, too. One. I've got yeah. that one. You've got all of them. Lo- me loaning you a movie. I'll take it. It's uh, it, it doesn't happen as much as I wish it would because you've loaned so many to me. <laughs> Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just across from the airport. Great place to go catch a movie. Don't forget about their $5 movie nights on Tuesdays that they have as well. Hopefully we'll get some good chases that will come in the movies this year, Dave. I'm you know, I'm not thinking right now, I'm not versed on what's coming up this summer, but I'll guarantee it'll be something somewhere. So yeah, I'd love to see I want to see more aerial chases. Those are those are my personal favorite. Oh, you don't see many of them, but they're really good. No, and especially you don't see many aerial chases that are real. Well, even if it's not a chasing, a dogfight. If there's, you know, it's it's kind of its own short chase movie yeah. until someone gets blown up out of the sky, then they go on to the next chase. But that would be when it's done really well. Wow, that's why I appreciate the one in Dunkirk so much because yeah. that is really well done. Yeah, and you can tell that it's very realistic. Oh yeah, re- re- models or CGI as long as you do it well. Yeah. Oh, that's something really cool about an aerial chase scene. Just makes me. <laughs> I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thanks for joining us today, and we will see you at the movies.